Anybody in here ever suffered something? A couple of you? Yeah. Uh, I stepped on a Lego once. <laughs> I know. I'm amazed I survived too. Um, it was rough for everybody around me. Uh, <laughs> in this passage today, we're going to read about Paul's intense suffering and how to walk through suffering and tribulation well. So let's turn to Acts chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 19. I'm going to read uh, 19 and 20. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas, went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Okay. So the Jews from Antioch and Iconium. So there's two Antiochs that are talked about in Acts. There's the, the original Antioch, uh, and then there's the Pisidian Antioch, which is where they've been working in. And that's where they've, they've recently been. This is on the north side of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, so the Jews from uh, Antioch and Iconium, man, they hated Paul, hated him because he called them sinners. How dare he, right? How dare he call them sinners? They were good people. And they hated him. So they came, they traveled all the way over here to, uh, to, to Lystra and they convinced these crowds, they persuaded them. This means to convince someone to believe something and to act on the basis of what is recommended. Has anybody in here ever been persuaded to do something? We're gonna, we're gonna get some exercise today, talking, all that stuff, persuaded to do something. Anybody ever regretted what you were persuaded to do? Hmm, me too. Who in here likes pizza? Oh, amen, hallelujah. How much do you like pizza? So much. so much? Do something about it. Do more. Eat the pizza, right? You can persuade people to do something, right? That's the persuading. It's let's, let's focus on something that you have a felt need for or desire for, and then let's go make somebody do something about it, right? They persuaded the crowds. So we talked about the dangers of crowds last week, right? Think about this. Last week, this is the same crowd that tried to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas as gods. Crowds are very easily persuaded. Crowds will do things that the individuals comprising that crowd would never do on their own. Like lining the streets with branches because you think Jesus is coming to establish our kingdom there. He's gonna make us the nation that rules everybody. And then that same crowd the following, re following week, accepting silver to chant out, crucify him. So the Jewish people came in here, these Jewish religious leaders come in and they persuade the crowds to go against Paul and Barnabas and he was stoned. That means to kill or attempt to kill by means of hurling stones normally carried out by angry mobs. This was a br brutal, painful, and utterly defeating thing because a crowd of people would throw as many of the biggest rocks at you as they could find until you died. You would typically be surrounded by this crowd. So it's not a bunch of people in front of you. and you, you know, run, it's, You're surrounded by a crowd of people all angrily just yelling and throwing rocks at you. They stone him and then he's dragged away. Paul was lifeless. His body was laying limp after all the rocks that had been thrown. 
He didn't move at all as they dragged him out of their city. Paul had brought the gospel, but the problem with the gospel is that gospel changes things and they did not want change. Anybody in here struggle with change? I won't look up. They supposed he was dead. Of course they did. They just threw rocks at him till he fell down and didn't move. In the high of their mob mentality, can you imagine what they were saying as they dragged him out of their city thinking he's dead? But even if they had killed Paul, they would never have been able to kill his message. And that's what they didn't understand. They didn't understand that killing Paul would not have stopped the gospel because Christ has made the gospel live. And he says that the gates of hell will never prevail against his church. Amen. So the disciples, they gathered about him and he rose up and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Gathered about, I love this word. This means, uh, the Greek word means to move in such a way as to encircle someone. Capricious crowds will surround you to idolize you or to kill you, right? And it can swing both directions. Godly brothers and sisters will encircle you to check on you, to love you, to cry with you, to laugh with you, maybe at you sometimes, and to share burdens with you. Paul's church encircled him, probably fearing the worst, right? They saw his body lying still and they come circling around and I'm sure they're just terrified. The man who just brought them the gospel, the thing that gave them new life and they see his body there. But they came to encircle him because they loved him. Don't be a crowd, be a church. As they encircled him, all of a sudden he rose up. That's the same word that we read uh, uh, from the guy that got healed where he sprang up. He literally jumps to his feet. Can you, I, I think some people screamed. I'm just, I'm just picturing it, right? They're all circling around like, oh my goodness, this, Paul, what are we doing? And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> he stands up and he enters the city. Okay, think about what just happened. A crowd, a mob just threw rocks at Paul till they thought he was dead. Even though they didn't kill him, can you imagine the wounds he received? And even with these wounds, he gets up and walks back into the city, the city with the mob that just tried to kill him because the gospel is more important. Worldly crowds will always throw rocks at those who come with the gospel. And those crowds are filled with people who so desperately need that gospel. So we've got to keep going back in with the gospel over and over and over again because the gospel is what saves people. Let's read verses, start in verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium. All right, so he goes on to, to, to Derby to continue preaching the gospel, to continue uh, going through, uh, going with the gospel where, uh, where, where he and Barnabas go next. And they preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples and they returned to Lystra and Iconium to Antioch. All right, so preach the gospel means to communicate the good news about salvation in Jesus Christ. 
Why did Paul go to another city? To make a big name for himself, right? So he could be famous. To build better crowds because crowds treat people so nicely. To establish solid programs? No, he went to preach the gospel. This is what should be on our lips as God calls us to any place on earth. We've got to be walking around with the gospel on our lips because it is that that changes lives. I want to say this, it has to start in our homes. Amen? We must be speaking the gospel in our homes with our uh, spouses and with our children. It says that they made many disciples. I love this. The Great Commission calls us to more than simply sharing the gospel. It says in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this doesn't excuse us from sharing the gospel. It calls us to do more. It calls us to do the hard work of walking forward with the person with whom you've shared the gospel. This can be messy, confusing, and difficult, can't it? When you walk with somebody through the beginning stages of faith. But if you don't choose to walk through it with them, then you're leaving them to walk that alone. They're making disciples of people, people who are actively walking and following Jesus. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch. All right, let's, let's, let's talk about the places he returned back through. Paul was stoned in Lystra. They attempted to stone he and Barnabas at Iconium. And both Paul and Barnabas were driven out of Antioch and they shook the dust off their feet as they left. Why on earth would they go back? The next verse. They returned, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Strengthen, that word means to cause someone to become stronger in the sense of more firm and unchanging in attitude and belief. These people needed strength. This church, these churches needed strength. They were trying to live out the gospel change in their lives in a world that hated everything about the gospel change. And who hated that change the most? The religious people, right? They hated the change that the gospel brought. They needed strengthening. Walking in faith is a journey of joy, rest, purpose, and suffering. We can see these in a few different passages. In John 15, 10 through 11, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be made in, may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to have joy in him. And we find that by living in obedience to him. He also wants us to have rest. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. How do we find rest in Christ? because we stop trying to work for anything else that we're trying to get on our own. And we realize that we have salvation in him as grace. We have rest in Christ because we know he does what we can't. We have rest in Christ because he's the one that gives us the power to have any change whatsoever that goes in our lives. 
we can rest in his finished work on the cross. We also find purpose inside of our faith. Romans 6, 4 says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from him, from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Do you know what our purpose on earth is? If you are a Christian, if God has saved you from your sins, your purpose is to walk as a completely different human, to continue to walk in change day by day, looking more like Christ every day you're alive. That's your purpose, making much of God because what points most people to Christ? When you look a little more like him. What makes people want nothing to do with Christ? When you claim to be his and look nothing like him. That's the most dangerous person in the world. But also we have a purpose of suffering, or it's not a purpose, we have a part of our faith journey is suffering. First Peter 4, 12 through 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice, also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Jesus promises that we're gonna have tribulations. He promises there's gonna be suffering as a Christian but we can rejoice in that suffering because when we suffer, we're suffering in the same way Christ did. Amen? Did Christ suffer? Yes. Did people hate him? Very much. Did people hate his words? Very much. Did some people follow him and then reject him? Absolutely. Remember, there were thousands at one point in Jesus's ministry. Who's left in the upper room? 120. What do we call that by our standards? Failure. Did Jesus fail? No, he brought the gospel. And the gospel has come and changed the world. So there is suffering. And Satan will try to abuse our mentality of suffering, try to twist our, our sense of, of what suffering is to blind us from everything else that we have in our faith, right? He will cause us to focus only in on there's no more joy, there's no more purpose. There's no more um, any of this other stuff. There's nothing else. There's no fulfillment. All I have is suffering. Don't let him do that to you. So he's strengthening them and encouraging them. This means to cause someone to be encouraged or consoled either by verbal or nonverbal means. Does anybody know this, that uh, walking in faith in Christ is difficult? Anybody ever found it to be hard? Oh, some of you get easy. That's good. It's a difficult thing, isn't it? How easy is it to decide not to look like Christ? When's the last time you didn't? It was probably just today, right? If we're going to walk in this faith well, we must walk with others. So my friend Aaron, he sent me a, a, a text this week that was cool. I'm going to try to quote. I don't know who the guy was that spoke this, so he'll have to give credit for it later. But uh, there's a story of Belgian horses. Um, so a Belgian horse is a pretty cool thing. Uh, it can pull a lot of weight, can do a lot of stuff. Uh, a Belgian horse, a single one by itself, can pull about 4,000 pounds, right? That's really cool. Anybody want to try to pull 4,000 uh, 4, pounds? 
Not today? Yeah, me either. Maybe tomorrow, we'll see. Put two Belgian horses together, how much can they pull? 8,000. 16,000 pounds. Together, the strength multiplies. If you have two Belgian horses that have done life together for a few months, it jumps to 32,000 pounds. The best or the strongest Belgian horses in history, the record, two brothers that grew up together, did life together for a long time, and they pulled 56,000 pounds. Again, individually, still 4,000 pounds. Together, 56,000 pounds. If that's not a picture of what Christ does in the church, I don't know what is. You by yourself can carry very little. I doubt it's 4,000 pounds. Together, walking with brothers and sisters in community and faith, you can carry thousands. You can accomplish so much because we were never called to do this alone. We were never called to come and sit and be served. We were called to come and serve together, to as a family come and make the gospel known to the world around us, to sing together words that reflect Christ, to study the word together and be challenged that we all haven't arrived yet. We all need change to pray together, trusting him to do what we can't. And then knowing that Christ will multiply the strength that you alone have by walking in communal faith with others. No one will know how to encourage you if they don't know you. Did you know that? If you walked in this room needing encouragement and told no one, guess what you're probably not gonna receive? Very specific encouragement to what you need. Church, we're called to be a family of families. This is what the early church, this is how they met, right? They come together once a week to do things together. And then they met throughout the week in their homes to become a family of families. So you encourage them not just to, hey, be better, do well, hope things are nice, to continue in the faith. There will be constant temptations to walk in our flesh, to follow the world, and to fall and defeat to Satan. Constant temptations for those. But the only way we will consistently walk in growth and intimacy with God is if we study his word, pray regularly, and walk together with his church. Continuing the faith means we're gonna say, we're in this together. We're walking together. And he reminds them that inside of this journey, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So this is a reminder again, the world hates Jesus because Jesus exposes. Anybody ever been uh, caught? How's that feel? Terrible, right? It's a terrible feeling to be caught. Who near thinks they're pretty sneaky and doesn't get caught very much? Anybody ever gotten away with something? Oh, you guys are still getting away with stuff. You're not raising your hands now. 
we like to think we're getting away with stuff, don't we? We love thinking this might, something I, I can do this, nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever say anything. Nobody will ever see it. Well, that's the problem with encountering Jesus is everything is made exposed down to your heart. Who in here would be willing to let your heart be subjected to a, uh, a device that let us see every thought in your mind? Anybody want to do that? I'm not. Absolutely not. Every intention, every desire. And that's the problem is that when we encounter Jesus, it's all exposed. And we have two options when that exposing happens. And that's typically what happens when anybody's caught, right? Option one, get mad. Get mad and shut him out and try to bring the darkness back in and say, I don't want anyone to see this and I like this too much. Option two is say, can you fix this? Because I can't. So the world hates Christ because they've chosen option one. Don't you dare shine light on this because it's mine and I want it. The world will hate you when you look like Jesus because that does the same thing. When you act like Christ, it exposes the lack of goodness in someone else. When you show true, deep gospel level love towards someone, it's going to expose their own lack of love. When you forgive somebody that doesn't deserve forgiveness, it's going to show a Christ-like level of forgiveness that they don't have inside of themselves. When you're kind in the face of attack, that shows Christ to people and exposes a lack of that godly kindness inside of that person. And the world hates this because it's exposing. This will bring suffering into your life. If you act like Christ, this is going to bring suffering. People will hate it. When you stand strong in his word, they're going to hate it. They hated Jesus for doing the same thing. But the goodness is, the good part of this is, is that you're walking the same suffering that Jesus did. And he says, I'm sustaining you. And he says, I'll give you my church and that burden that's too heavy for you, that 56,000 pounds. Brothers and sisters that can carry that with you. If you're willing to walk in life with them. Not coming to events, doing life together. Next verse says, and when they had appoint, appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So we see this pattern begin in the earliest church, right? God's design was for a plurality of called and qualified men to lead the church, not one man who does it all. There has never, ever, ever been one man that has every gift. It has never existed. That was a worldly model that was put together saying that guy should do everything. Wrong. God's called us as a group to do all ministry together. And he's called certain men called elders to lead the church. Paul and Barnabas prayed and selected these elders in each of these churches. It says in every church, this wasn't something that was optional. Every church was to be led this way. And said so they did it with prayer and fasting. This was not something to be done hastily or lightly. 
They prayed and fasted, asking God for wisdom on who they should appoint to be the leaders of these churches. I just want to talk about prayer and fasting just for a moment before we wrap up today. Jesus assumes fasting in our lives, right? He says, when you fast, don't do it like the religious people that want to say, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm fasting. Sorry. They've gotten their reward. He says, when you fast, go about with joy. And your fasting is a reminder to pray. Are there difficult things that you're walking through right now? I, I'm assuming most people in this room just said, yes, there are difficult things I'm going through. What has your response to those difficulties been? If you're like me, maybe you'll say yes to all these. Anger, lashing out, fight back, attack, gossip, slander. Everybody uncomfortable yet? What should our first response be to difficulty? Pray. Get on our hands and knees in a posture of prayer, humbling ourselves before Christ and say, Jesus, what is right? And then as you're praying, if you need a reminder to pray because you're struggling with it, because you're too emotionally attached to the issue, anybody there? You're struggling too much with it so you don't remember to pray? Choose a meal to fast. Choose some days to fast and say, God, help my hunger to remind me to trust you with this. Help my hunger remind me to trust your wisdom and not mine. Help my hunger remind me to act like you even when I really don't want to. Church, we need to be fasting and praying for what God is doing. In closing, I'm just, I was so excited last night to see hundreds and hundreds from our community walk through our campus and just find a group of people saying, hey, we just wanna love you by giving your kids way too much candy and then sending them home. What a simple, easy thing to do to just say, I love you. But church, we have to be doing that all the time. Our community needs to know we love them tomorrow too. They need to run into people that attend Clinging Ridge that look like Jesus that forgive like Jesus, that are kind like Jesus, that speak truth in godly ways like Jesus. So that maybe in one of those encounters, instead of the first response of anger and refusal and rejection and that's mine, you can't have it or see it, maybe you'll have the opportunity to say, there is a second option to the disgusting mess in your heart. Let Jesus have it and you can share the gospel with them. But we can't share the gospel with people we don't know. And we're probably not gonna share the gospel with people we don't know if we're not doing life with our church. Because no one's ever gonna tell me, Colin, you need to be sharing the gospel. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I have a couple of questions just for us to walk through as we wrap this up. My first one is this, are you more influenced by the crowd or by the church? How can you guard yourself from crowds influence? 
Remember the crowds, the mob of people that get together saying, this is my preference and I demand it. The church are the ones who get together and say, this is God's word and we're standing on it. Who are you most influenced by? Which one are you most attached to? How can you walk closer to the church and distance yourself from the crowd? Second of all, are you strengthening and encouraging others inside of the church that God's called you to be here with? Are you going around saying, it's my job, it's my responsibility as a member of this church, as a part of this church to strengthen and encourage others? Or are you only expecting others to do this for you? Is that something you need to repent of this morning saying, God, I've been in a selfish faith thinking only of what others can do for me and I need to be in a faith that is selfless and puts others above myself. Let's pray. Christ, I pray that you just guide us to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand firm to be the church of the word built only on the foundation of your cross and built with works that stand the test of time that are found in your word that you've called us to. Lord, help us not to be influenced or persuaded by the crowds, but let us do life together as a church, strengthening and encouraging each other. Call us to that. In your name I pray, amen. Yes, stay and respond however God leads you.